0: Welcome to the Real Estate Investors Weekender podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the award winning editorial staff at nreionline.com. Let's jump right into this week's top news, features, and blog posts. Welcome to the NREI Weekender with your host David Bodimer. Let's dive into this week's top news. David, I know you've got a lot to highlight today. Uh, what are we going to be covering today?
1: So we're going to try to touch on a few of our big stories from the week. Uh, we're going to look at uh, some of the things that we dis- that we wrote about this week. Include um, some of the questions that private equity real estate fund managers are facing in the current climate. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking at the state of uh, industrial uh, investment sales. Uh, also, we had an interesting look at uh, what one mall owner has been doing to help drive business to its outlet centers, and then lastly, uh, may want to talk about um, what some younger apartment tenants uh, h- how they're struggling in the uh, in this environment of raising rents. So we're going to start with um with the with the private equity story. All right. Basically, you know what what we found is you know the, the private Equity um, fund managers have raised an incredible amount of money. Um, they're sitting on a huge amount of money. They're the ones that are targeting real estate are constantly trying to um, invest. That's been a story for, you know, a, a better part of a decade at this point. Mm-hmm. The issue that, you know, now they're facing given the climate is that the their yields are going down, um, which is causing them to actually l- lower their target yields for their funds. That's, that's kind of the challenge they're facing is like – you know, they cannot deliver the, the yields that they were promising to their, um, investors. That's a problem. So now they're looking at, um, you know, whether they need to adjust that or how, how they can account for that. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. That'll make somebody mad. (laughs) So what are your thoughts? I mean, how are they going to do that?
1: So one potential way that they're looking is, you know, um, given how frothy things are with core property types, which, which they have been for a while, um, you know, looking at other other markets, secondary markets, secondary property types, that's one way they could try to to drive to try drive the yields. Um, but I think also, and they're looking at markets like Austin, Denver, Salt Lake City, where in the past a lot of these funds would focus more on like the gateway primary markets. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I think what's what's another thing that's difficult for them is even in in all of these markets they cannot make the same assumptions about how rents are going to grow or, or how, how the property values are going to grow that they were making in recent years just because of where we are at in, in the cycle.
0: Okay. So David, earlier you said that if they're not able to you know, bring the investments back to their, their investors, um, I got to ask that question. Where is the satisfaction level of investors at this point?
1: Well, one of the, the one of the companies we talked to, um, or the, that a lot of this is based on, is Prequin. They're, they're a data company that does a lot of research, and then also, yeah, looks at the sentiment within within the sector. W- one thing that they found is that two thirds of fund managers uh, are the new funds they're bringing to market. They're they're, they're lo- lowering those target returns as a re- as a result of the concerns about the valuations and their effect on future performance. I think, you know, to this point, by and large. Um, Investors are, you know, are you know, they are satisfied, um, despite you know some some of the some of these potential headwinds, because relative to other investments, real estate is is still holding up, even though they're it's becoming you know more challenging to get to the to the yields that that, that maybe they were getting a few years ago.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's not all bad news. I mean, it's still it's okay at this point.
1: We're just at a very mature part of this cycle, and. During the expansion phase of the cycle, it may have been easier to in a lot, you know, in a lot of areas, a lot of different kinds of investors, and a lot of different kinds of properties to um, deliver yield in a lot of ways. There was just a lot of room for growth. But now, you know, we've been going for such a long time, the opportunities to find growth are are shrinking. Um, but we're not, you know, also not in a in a situation where the cycle is not a downturn yet. So there's, you know, I think it's, this is like where I think this is kind of the, the part, the time of the cycle where the most skilled fund managers, the most skilled investors are, are the ones that will deliver the best returns.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds about right.
1: All right. What's our next story? What are we cover next? So then another um, thing we looked at this week is just the state of the industrial real estate. You know, that's been um, in the past, you know I think as most of our most of the listeners would know is that industrial has been very hot. It's been um, more or less trading back and forth with multifamily and as the hottest subsector within commercial real estate. But we did what we you know some of the most recent data is showing though that industrial sales transactions have fallen off from a year ago. Um, just because there are, it's just a, one of the a basic su- supply demand imbalance. There are everybody wants to buy, as as one of the people we talked to put it, everybody wants to buy, but nobody wants to sell. Um, so it dovetails with what we were just talking about in the in the previous story, which is that you know given given the state of the cycle and given maybe concerns about you know how much more room is there for value for asset values to go up, how much more room is there for uh, rents to go up, income to go up. Um, I think you know investors are just becoming more selective about what they're going to buy. And then also if you are sitting on, you know, a pretty strong asset, you know, it's not a time where you're necessarily looking, looking to sell that.
0: Yeah. If it's doing well, why would I sell? Right. I mean, that's yeah.
1: the bottom line. Right. I mean, I think, you know, if, if you had purchased the asset um, a few years ago and, and, You'd had it, experienced a good run up in rents. If you you know seen the value go up, you may it may be a time where you wanted to cash in on that equity, uh, you know re- realize the 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 the, the inherent asset um, valuation increase that that may have gone on, but only if you think you could pour you know spin that into another similar opportunity. <laughs> and I think that's that 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 may be the the the. the one of the, you know, one of the challenges is that at at one point in the cycle, you could buy an asset, it would be performing well, you could continue to try to ride it out, or you could try to like flip it and maybe find another opportunity where you can, you know, ride things up again. But now, um, there are fewer of those opportunities. And so maybe it is better just to hold the asset, the performing asset that you do have.
0: Yeah. Is is the market seeing a, a real difference between, uh, foreign versus domestic, uh, uh, investors.
1: I mean, the it's industrial has become um, highly sought after by both. Uh, I mean, it's it, you know it's obviously always uh, popular for domestic buyers, but international investors um, are very interested in uh, the U.S. industrial market. According to um, a survey by the Association of Foreign Investors in Real Estate, they found that seventy-one percent of foreign investors are actually looking for opportunities in, in U.S. industrial markets and. There's always been some interest in industrial. I think just I, I think it's, it's it's just gone up just given what we know about how industrial sits relative to some of the other uh, commercial property types.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's a pretty large percentage uh, to be talking about, and that's uh, that was a little bit surprising to me. In fact, so uh, do you think that that plays into domestic investors' minds when when they read a study like that and they say, "Oh, geez, if 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 there's that much." push for it from, from a foreign investor. Maybe I need to be looking more at the industrial market. Maybe they know something I don't, or maybe I need to do some more research. I mean, how do you, how do you think that affects them on a psychological level? If we can get that deep?
1: I think it affects, I mean, I think it affects them in just like, it's another competitor to deal with. (laughs) Yeah, true. (laughs) Cause if they're looking at, cause, um, you know, it's, it's, it, it has been a popular asset for, uh, for us investors. Um, and, you know, for, for the skilled operators, but now they have to worry about just another class of buyers who are targeting the same assets that they are. Yeah, absolutely. All right. What's our next story? What's our next highlight? So this, um, this next piece we did was, um, I found very interesting twists on what's happening in the retail world, which is that, you know, Simon property group, who is, you know, the largest mall owner in the country. Most people know that, that, uh, you know, they, they also have a quite a large portfolio of outlet centers and, and some other types of properties. But what they've done now is to help drive the business in their outlet centers. They're launching a new uh, online portal meant to both, you know, help drive up sales and traffic at online and in stores among its tri- you know, traditional outlet center tenants. It's beta testing this with what it calls it's a VIP shopper club, which is a, a group of about 4 million members nationwide already already uh, belong to this. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to get first access to this. And then I think based on the beta test, they're going to roll this out even further to you know make it available to people that its portfolio of 69 um, premium outlets that, that exist across the country. So there are um, a number of brands that are that are going to be participating in this. Um, that includes, you know, names like Ara Saks Fifth Avenue, Cole Hahn, Nautica, Reebok, Wilson's Leather, and, and, and a bunch of others. So w- what's going to happen with this is that the brands and the retailers um, will manage their own product pages and offerings through this portal. And then consumers will be able to kind of go to the site, shop, basically do like a virtual shop of like, you know, the kind of tenants that are normally in a a premium outlet center and buy them directly through this one site so that they'll be able to kind of shop all these different stores, do a virtual, virtual trip to an outlet center. And then um, the plan is for Simon to take a a cut of the commission of any sales that happen to take place through this portal.
0: Got it. So just looking at this in general, I know Amazon has everything. I mean, pretty yeah. much has everything. Do you think this is <laughs> going to rival Amazon in any way, shape or form? Do you think, is there some sort of uh, rules that they have that these, uh, the the outlet centers are only going to be offering these type of prices to, you know, on this specific site instead of it being where anybody can get anything off of Amazon?
1: I think it's an interesting question. And it's also speaks to the, the, the timing of, of, um, Simon doing this. Um, I think what they launched it because they do see a void for an online marketplace dedicated to this kind of, you know, to this kind of product. Hmm. So I guess, you know, in their, in their estimation, um, while you can get so much at amazon maybe the kind of you know the the markdown, late season you know the the kind of stuff that may be a little bit harder to track down online because it's not being marketed as aggressively maybe you know maybe it'll, it'll just provide an easier place for shop to find that um but you know then we reached out to some consultants about you know within the retail industry to see Okay, what do you think of this idea? Since this is sort of a, it's an interesting step for a property owner to insert themselves this this directly into the sales process. Normally, you know, they're just going to manage the property, you know, provide the services to you know, provide the space and the services to tenants, but let the tenants largely work you know worry about their sales. They maybe have some loyalty programs or some little some some perks at the center, but I think this is an interesting way for a property owner to. Uh, be this heavily involved in in the operational side of the retail business. Um, so, and I think the response to that, I think people are, are uh, have have a bit of a mixed response to it. Some see, you know, well, you know, Simon does this and it works. This is clearly going to set a trend um, that other property owners will follow. Um, but then another consultant we spoke to. Was pretty harsh about it. Um, He he said that he actually called it a waste of time. Um, He said it's uh, irrelevant and late. That at this point, we are so, I mean, more or less what he was trying to say is that we're just, we're so deep into um, the growth and development of online sales that trying to carve out a niche at this point is just, you know, too late. So I think at the end of the day, what it means is that we're just going to see how it shakes out.
0: Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think that I do a lot of shopping on Amazon, but the, the local, uh, outlet center that we have near, near our house, uh, I, I love it because the kitchen gadget store, I like to go in there and play with the things. Right? Right. I, I want to I I look at these new gadgets that we don't have, and, and my wife is a tremendous cook. So it's great to be able to get some of those things, but we're not going to buy a lot of those things online because half the time I don't know what they do. So I need to figure that out before, you know, before we buy it. Or, or Bose is another store that mm-hmm. is in our local outlet mall. I want to go listen to those things. I want to listen to the different types of headphones. And if I'm going to shop online for Bose and I'm, I'm satisfied with all the research I've done, I'm usually going to choose an Amazon. So it'll be interesting to see if they have some sort of something in place that would keep these prices even lower than what's offered on other sites. Otherwise I would almost agree with that second consultant that says
1: it's, you're a bit
0: late to the party. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think it's, um, yeah, it's definitely going to be, I, I'm, I'm not sure exactly how, how, how I feel about how it's going to play out either. Um, I, I think what I could see happening though is like, if you do have, I think it, it may depend on how, uh, from, like, a consumer perspective, if you have a, like, you know, you just named off the top of your head, you know the couple of the stores at your local premium, you know, at your local outlet center that you know and you like, mm-hmm. um, if that kind of familiarity, you know, will play in at all. It's like, well, like, rather than just going into the, you know, rant, you know, if I'm on a similar um, mindset of like, you know, I want to go to the, you know, I want to go there and browse this outfit of like, I could go to their website and look at the same stuff and maybe facilitate the transaction that way. I don't like the, maybe that's, that's part of the, the way they think they can leverage this is just like having, they know that they have a market. They know they have people that come to the center regularly. So this is just a way of kind of extending, extending that, that um, relationship with them. Um, but yeah, it's going to be tough because, you know, as mm-hmm. you pointed out on pricing, it's pretty tough to beat. On a pure pricing level, it's pretty tough to beat what the um, the pure play online retailers can do. But I think it also, you know, speaks to the, the the last aspect of this that's sort of interesting. You know, or the last factor is that you know we know that Amazon themselves is now actually creating more of a space in the in the bricks and mortar world. So it's kind of going the other way too. So where like you know part of the way that they see of growing their businesses by opening, you know, experimenting with various, um, uh, brick and mortar concepts. So, you know, maybe this is like this continued evolution. You know, so, so maybe, so maybe it can work both ways. Yeah, absolutely. All right.
0: I know we got a couple more stories to get to. Hopefully. Uh, what is the next one we're covering?
1: The next piece was, um, in, in a piece that we were looking at based on some research in the multifamily sector, um, which was an attempt to see how younger renters are, um, how they're coping with rents and housing um, in the current market, you know, just given that in a lot of markets, rent has gotten extremely expensive. Um, so mm-hmm. this was um, a look specifically, you know, we're, and when we're talking about younger ren- renters, we're talking about people that are like age 35 or younger um, people, you know, sort of, just out of college up until their mid thirties and you know, various studies have found that this is, it's kind of a tough market for uh, both, you know, it's a, um, according to like one metric um, even with incomes rising recently, adults under the age of 35 are not forming households at rates as high as previous generations. So Uh, Instead, we're still seeing uh, a lot of young people that either are living at home or are in roommate situations uh, and renting as roommates. Um, According to uh, data provider RealPage, who we spoke to, uh, almost a third of all renter households are made up of people in their 20s to 30s who live alone. Um, But then the next largest group of renters is comprised of young people who have to double up with roommates. So, Mm, um, you know, like that, that it's, you know, it's, it's kind of this interesting, you know, dichotomy, um, where I think, you know, in previous generations, that level of people living with roommates to that age range would, was, was, was much lower. So for example, um, there are some markets, on the West coast, like San Jose, San Diego, San Francisco, Portland, LA um, where these roommate um, situations account for like up to 40% of the, of the, of the apartments in the market. So that's just, I don't know. I don't think it was like, I, I know that for me personally, when I, I moved to New York in my early twenties, um, I had roommates, but like that was for like a year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it wasn't a long term thing. <laughs> so it wasn't like a you know, and uh, but yeah, it's just different now. Where I, I th- and I think it's it is partly ha- has to do with just the um, rent to income ratios and how mm-hmm. high rents are, and and even though incomes have like the like previous point said even though, even though incomes have risen, it's just not. Um, keeping pace with what some of the market rents are, and then another point is that um, more than half of renters have student loan debt, um, and the av- like. For example, the average college graduate with a bachelor's degree now takes 21 years to completely pay off uh, their student loans. Holy so yeah, which I I I was not aware of that figure, um, and I found that kind of staggering. I mean, considering. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to retirement. You finally paid off your
0: student loan. Um, that's insane. And and I want to point out something you said mm-hmm. earlier. You were talking about San Jose and you had mentioned, I believe the percentage was like 41% um, young adult roommates. It was the, what, what the study found. What I haven't heard, or I don't know if you know this, um, but I'd love for that study to tell us how many people are in that apartment as roommates. Because you know San Jose <laughs> they may be packing 17 people in there to, you know as, as roommates because of how expensive California is I I don't know if they did they make any differentiation between like two people sharing in a, a, a two-bedroom apartment or like five people sharing a, a three bedroom apartment or any of that or is it just young adult roommates and people who aren't roommates
1: yeah it just broke it down that way it didn't it, didn't, it doesn't um, go very in-depth in terms of like what the housing size is. Gotcha. Um gotcha. but you know, another thing that we've seen, um, aside from what's in what's, what's in this story that we were talking about, is the rise of the of co you know, what now they're calling co-living arrangements as well, which is more like almost like a dorm, like an adult dorm setup, which you know, apartment buildings um where um apartment buildings that have some level of service to them. And like and then the apartment unions themselves may not have like the typical kind of a layout of like a single um, a one bedroom or a studio, but then the building might have some some um, extra amenities. Also, some of these situations, the the rooms are furnished rather than you having furniture. So it is more like you can kind of pop in and out of of of, of these sort of buildings in in a, in a way that's a little different than like a traditional apartment building. And I think that's also becoming popular as well among like this um among, among this age. I think it's good. We're, we're talking
0: about hippies. <laughs> <laughs> are, we, are we talking com- yeah, communal sort of bathrooms really or are we, I mean, this sounds like a hostel to me. I mean, do they have their own running water in these little apartments or uh, I, I'm all for it. But at, at my age, I'm like, yeah, I like my space. So no, yeah. you can't use my bathroom. Go away.
1: <laughs> wow. That's, that's hard. Yeah. In some ways it is like a, it's like a throwback almost to like 10 minutes. Mm. I don't know. Um, where, yeah, things were like those sort of things are now shared. Yeah.
0: Hey, do we have time for one more story or are we, we going to wrap it up today?
1: Um, and we could just touch touch on one more just you know, just one more point that we had in in uh, this week, and then you know for this is just you know again a, sa- a sampling of of all of the coverage that we've done on the site, but these are just some of the some of the big things that we wanted to to uh, to highlight for the week. Um, but was you know it's another important point for the market is just that the uh, CMBS delinquency rate um, for. All property types um, showed a decline in April. So, for for the the two, the two major agencies that to kind of track this, Trep and Fitch came up with their most recent numbers. They showed improvement um, for 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 that, and that was pretty. You know, there was maybe a little bit of different movement among some of the sub property types, but overall, the CMBS the CMBS delinquency like Relate c- continues to fall. It's um, nearest, like. At least cyclical, if not historical, low levels. Hmm. So that's just a, a really good sign for um, for the industry, especially if really, you know. Given again, like the where we are at in in the overall cycle.
0: Yeah, I love ending on a positive note. That's great. <laughs> so, so There's a bit of good news right here at the end. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, no shared bathrooms in this story.
1: That's fantastic. <laughs> I noticed that. Right. <laughs> Any closing thoughts for today, David? So, I don't have any additional thoughts about um, the stories that we highlighted, but um, just wanted to thank people for for tuning in and this is a a, a you know, new project for us to try to bring um, a podcast with some of our highlights to the industry so, Hope you are enjoying this and give us any feedback that you, that you can.
0: Yeah, that's great. I I love it. I'm having a good time with this, David, and I appreciate it. Uh, And thank you all for listening to the NREI Weekender with your host, David Bodemer. If you have not subscribed to this podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when David comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at the NREI Weekender, this is Eric Johnson inviting you back next week for all the news that matters to you. We'll see you soon. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of NERI Informa. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only.